And I don't know about you, but I find it really easy, really easy for life to get out of balance, um, for it to become this kind of mad run where all of a sudden I find myself majoring in the minor things of life. Uh, I, I tend to run low and my batteries end up just getting depleted. And in this series, what I'm hoping to do is that we're going to take a look. We're going to take a look at how to handle that pace of life and how to recharge our lives and how to live life. And this is important, how to live life so that you breathe life not only into yourself, but to everyone around you. Now, I don't know. I'm curious. How many of you drink, have ever had an energy drink? All right. There has been an explosion of energy drinks. All you got to do, if you stop like a quick trip, you'll you'll see, you know, there's like Vault, uh, the Monster, uh, Adrenaline Rush, No Fear. Uh, Jolt uh, was the the first one that kind of hit the market, and, and they all kind of boast that they're going to increase your energy. They, and some of them are chock full of caffeine. Some of them have vitamins like B6 and B12. Uh, others have herbs in them, uh, ginseng and uh, camatine. And what's supposed to happen is if you're running really low, kind of pop the top, drink it in. I'm not supposed to have drinks in the auditorium, by the way. But anyway, we drink it in. And we wait for it to kick in. And when it kicks in, I mean, if you, if you drink three or four of these, you're going to be wound for sound big time. And uh, I wish in life, when you're running low, that it's not so simple. I mean, you can't just go get a drink. You can't just take something. I mean, people try it. But it doesn't really work. The fact is, to increase energy in life, I mean, I believe God's word is full of wisdom of how to get the most out of life, how to find the best of life. And today what I want to look at is how to amp up your world. How to amp up your world, make a difference with a thing called love. I mean, how do you do that? First John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And what that's saying, I mean, kind of the reverse side of that is that if a person does not know God, you can't love. But if you know God, the obvious result is that you're going to be more loving as an individual. It's a natural byproduct. Uh, If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ what is going to happen or what you're going to find is that you're going to become a more loving person. It's, uh, the, the problem is that if you look at this passage and if you lack love, hear me, if you lack love, if you have little compassion or no compassion for other people, here's the conclusion you've got to draw. Your faith isn't what you think it is. Ouch. I mean, I believe when you grasp 
the undeserved grace that God gives you, that free grace, that when you experience God's love, I think what happens is it invades your life and it changes you. That when you hear God say to you that you're forgiven, that you're valuable, that you're loved, I mean, it changes everything. You begin to see yourself differently. Not only as I look at my past, but how I live today. And as I look at the future, it changes everything. But it also ought to amp up not just our vision of who we are, but as we look at the world. In other words, when, when I look through the lenses of God, I begin to see people differently. Have you noticed that? You begin to, to think differently. You start seeing other people the way God sees them. In other words, you shift from being a container of God's grace and God's blessings to, to being a, a conduit that, that, that reaches out. Instead of being a reservoir, you become a river of God's love to the people around you. You move beyond a personal response to, to Jesus Christ, uh, to personally responding to God's love, to what you should be doing is sharing God's love. And that's, that's a big difference, big difference. You know, I think once you, you've tasted God's outrageous joy, there's something very liberating about it. And when, when you're liberated, I, I think you want to share it. I mean, Jesus, one day, someone walked up to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, the greatest commandment has two components. One, you love God with everything in you and love your neighbor as yourself. And basically, Jesus implies that you cannot love God without loving people, without loving your neighbor, without loving every single person that, that walks this planet. You know, Luke 13, 10 through 13, and that's kind of be where we're kind of centered today, but Jesus shows us what love is to look like. The scripture says, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. A woman was there who had been crippled by the Spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you're set free from your infirmities. Then he put his hand on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Several things in this story, I think, if, if you're going to take it in, if you're going to apply this stuff, I think what will happen is it will change how you live this week, and not just this week, but I believe it could change the rest of your life if we get a handle. I mean, if we're going to amp up our world, if we're going to amp up what we're doing in our Christian walk, and I'm talking to Christians here, then you've got to learn a couple things. And one of them is you've got to be attentive. You've got to learn to be attentive. You've got to learn to look around you. You know, one day Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. The Bible says a crowd had gathered, and in that crowd there was one woman. And that woman, for the last 18 years, had been crippled, bent over. She, she wasn't able to, to stand straight. 
And while Jesus is teaching, kind of like what I'm doing right now, right in the middle of it, Jesus notices her. I can almost imagine Jesus' eyes locked with her eyes for just a moment. And Scripture says he was moved with compassion. Think about that for a minute. I mean, I think one of the greatest miracles of life is when I finally comprehended that the God of this universe, this infinite God, pays attention to me. That just cuts, cuts to the core. I mean, that God is intimately interested, not only interested, knowledgeable as to what's going on in my life and what's happening. The Bible says so much so that God knows the number of hairs on your head. In other words, one of them falls out. God notices. Now, what I've also figured out is God doesn't usually replace them, okay? But at least he notices, huh? God probably noticed that mine looks a little different these days. Some of you noticed that. Thank you. (laughs) I've been catching a lot of ribbing over that. But attention, friends, is a powerful force. Psychologists tell us uh, that they've done studies on how it kind of relates to an infant. And they've concluded that for a baby to grow up healthy, to have good social skills in, in their life, that not only do they need food and water, but they need an attentive gaze of another human being. That basically as an infant kind of lies in in the crib, that when they look up, from time to time, they need to see an attentive, smiling face. And what that says to that newborn is that I matter. You know, psychologists call that phenomena attunement. Attunement. That the baby is able to lay there and understand that they can connect to another human being, that they are in tune with another person. And that intensive gaze says everything. It says, You matter. You count. You're important. A little baby understands the importance of that and the need for that. There's a passage in the Old Testament. Uh, many times I'll use it as a blessing uh, at a get-together or a wedding. Sometimes I'll, I'll read this. But it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and bring grace to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In other words, that imagery is when God turns his face toward you, when he gives you his full and undivided attention, it changes everything. It makes a difference. I mean, when you give a person your complete and undivided attention, you turn your face toward them. It changes things. Parents, you hear that? Give your children that kind of undivided attention. In the workplace, give that undivided attention. Jesus is in the synagogue. He catches this woman's eyes. He turns his face toward her. 
He gives her his attention. And it changes things. You know, there's a couple things that I have observed through, through the years. And that is, there are all kinds of people in your life, in your world, that are screaming and need attention. They're waiting for you to, to pay attention to them. I mean, you may pass them every single day. And you look, and they're dressed nice, and they may have a good job. They may live in a nice neighborhood. You might shake their hand, and they might smile. They might tell you everything's fine. But inside, friends, they are communicating to you. Pay attention to me. I'm dying inside. I want somebody to pay attention. And, friends, when you start paying attention... You start noticing things. You start noticing needs that, that people have. I mean, people are, are masters at putting up walls in their life, in, in their kind of loneliness, their quiet desperation. They, they long to be noticed. They long to be loved. But they're good at putting up walls. You know, here's somebody that's good at putting up walls. Watch this for a moment. You might recognize them. me and my swamp and the first thing i'm gonna do is build a 10-foot wall around my land you cut me deep shrek you cut me real deep just now you know what i think i think this whole wall thing is just a way to keep somebody out no do you think are you hiding something never mind donkey Oh, this is another one of those onion things, isn't it? No, this is one of those drop it and leave it alone things. Well, why don't you want to talk about it? Why do you want to talk about it? Well, why are you blocking? I'm not blocking. Oh, yes, you are. Donkey, I'm warning you. Who are you trying to keep out? Just tell me that, Shrek. Who? Everyone, okay? Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Oh, for the love of Pete. Hey, what's your problem, Shrek? What you got against the whole world anyway? Huh? Look, I'm not the one with the problem, okay? It's the world that seems to have a problem with me. People take one look at me and go, Ah, help! Run! A big, stupid, ugly ogre. They judge me before they even know me. That's why I'm better off alone. You know anybody like that? I mean, people, they amaze me at how hard we work at putting up walls. And, and the reason why we put up walls is because at some point we, we don't feel lovable. We, we don't feel accepted. And, and I believe deep down, no matter how many walls we build up, there's something in us that screams and says, please notice me. Pay attention to me. There's a second thing I, I've observed when it comes to noticing people in, in our lives, and that is that we tend to miss a lot when we're in a hurry. You know, we miss the details uh, of life. When Jesus is walking through life, when I, when I read the New Testament, it never seems like Jesus was in a hurry, that he was trying to rush somewhere, uh, that he needed to make some appointment. Jesus didn't walk past people 
in a hurry to get somewhere else in his life. He always had time for other people. Um, and I think the, the pace of our lives oftentimes makes us miss the very people God wants us to notice. I mean, I, I'll give you an example and, and see if this, I, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one this ever happens to, but you ever in the parking lot or the grocery store or something, and you know the drill, you do one of these, hey, how's it going? And every once in a while, somebody has the audacity to tell you. And they start telling you what's going on in their life. And in, in, let's be honest here for a minute. Every once in a while, it's like in your mind, you're thinking, wait a minute. That's not how the game's played. What's wrong with you? I, I wasn't really serious. I, I was just making nice. Friends, if you want to amp up your world, you want to make a difference in this world, you learn to look people in the eyes. You learn to slow down. You know, stop, notice, pay attention. You know, you might consider this week reading one of the Gospels. You know, what Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, doesn't matter. Read, read one of the Gospels because you can see how Jesus treats people. And you see Jesus noticing people, giving people the, his attention. So if you're going to amp it up, you've got to first start by paying attention. The second thing is you have to make a decision to take a risk. You know, not only did Jesus recognize the woman, but Jesus makes a decision that he's going to speak to her. Now, I want you to think about this because I think it's lost in translation a little bit. But this was very risky in that day. It was... Uh, not proper protocol for that day. In other words, it was, it was in a service like this, and it wasn't in the order of service, very unconventional. And Jesus calls this woman out of the crowd. Can you imagine if I, if I did that right now and said, okay, I want you to come out, you'd be like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Now, I, I've tried to think about how it must have felt for the woman. I mean, in that day, I think it probably took everything in her just to go out in public, you know, and to be able to get, get around. And now you got this rabbi teacher that, that's teaching in front of the whole synagogue, and during that service, he calls on her, he points her out, and, and he makes that decision to say, come here. And he, Jesus decides that he is going to demonstrate that bold, reckless, radical love of God. And sometimes we have to make that decision. It'll be risky, but it's worth it. Generally, what happens is we're tempted to kind of play it safe. You know, in a world that is captivated by, by fear and insecurity, our tendency is we want to quarantine ourselves. We want to quarantine our lives and our families. But God says that's not how you live. If you're going to live life, God says you've got to be out there. You've got to be out there where, where people are hurting, where people are, are struggling in life. You know, that the church needs to be a kind of a mass unit where we help people that's hearts, their hearts are broken. They, we help a hurting world. You know, God's design for faith fellowship is not that 
we, we'd be a group of people that kind of pull our, our resources together and we buy a piece of property and we build a, a kind of resort or a, a commune where what we do is we isolate ourselves from the world and we fellowship with one another and, and that we don't go out there. I mean, all we do is... Uh, fellowship only with believers no that that's not what god designed us for god wants us beyond the walls god wants us in our neighborhoods god wants us in in the marketplace where we work out on the ball court or whatever bringing people the love of god out there mixing it up in the real world loving people catch us loving people that you normally wouldn't given your own devices, your own tendencies. God says, you've got to get out there. You know, Matthew 5 says, if you love only the people who love you, you will get no reward. Even tax collectors do that. And if you love, if you are nice only to your friends, you know better than other people. Even those who don't know God are nice to their friends. Hmm. I like uh, Tony Campalo. Um, he's an author, a pastor. He speaks all across, honestly, all across the world. I was going to say across the nation, but across the world. And uh, Tony tells a story about when uh, he flew to Hawaii. He left the East Coast, flew to Hawaii, and because of the time change, he said he had terrible jet lag, but he, he couldn't sleep. And he said it was the middle of the night. He got up and he walked outside. It was 3 a.m. And he found an all-night diner. And he said when he walked in the diner, there was a guy behind the counter. And then there was a group of women at a table. And he said, I have to admit, I was kind of eavesdropping in on the women. And he said through their conversation, he realized that they were all prostitutes. And one of the women in the group, Agnes, was telling the other women that tomorrow was her birthday and that in her entire life she had never, ever had a birthday party. And so when the group of women left, Tony's talking to the guy behind the counter a little bit and he figures out that those women come in the diner the same time every single night. And so Tony said, in that moment I got an idea. And he said, I asked the guy, I said, can I throw a birthday party here tomorrow night? And here, here's what happens, and I'm going to read what, what he said because he, I couldn't put it as good as he did here. He goes, at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and had a sign out of a big piece of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes said the woman that did the cooking at the diner must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me, the preacher. (laughs) At 3.30, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes and her friends. I had everybody poised and ready. And when she came in, we screamed, Happy Birthday. He says, never have I seen a person so flabbergasted. Her mouth fell open, her legs buckled, and when we finished singing, her eyes moistened. And when we brought out the cake, 
she started to sob. But she didn't want anybody to eat the cake. She wanted to keep it as a memory of the fact that she had had a birthday party. She said that she lived around the corner and was going to take the cake right then to her house. She walked out, and we were so stunned that she had left. We didn't know what else to do, so I just led them in prayer. It was the only thing I knew to do. So Tony said he had a prayer for Agnes that she would come to know Jesus Christ, that her life would be different, uh, and that she would have the best birthday she'd ever had. And when he finished and things had cleared out and he was getting ready to leave, the guy behind the counter said to him, he said, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. He said, what kind of church do you belong to? And Tony said, I belong to the kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And the guy behind the counter says, no, you don't. Because if there was a church like that, I'd join it. Friends, when I read the New Testament, I see Jesus and I see God that that lavishes grace on people, that loves people. That when most people are put down or are left behind or used up, that the, the Bible says Jesus was right in the middle of that. The Bible says that sinners and prostitutes and drunks, they loved him because Jesus, get this, was comfortable around those individuals. Jesus was okay in their presence. He was able to to work in the midst of that. And the Bible says that the lepers, the lepers loved him because in Jesus they found someone that would eat and drink with them. You know, sometimes it's risky. You know, and a little heads up, if you make a decision, if you decide that you're going to reach out with the love of God in this world, sometimes you're going to be rejected. Sometimes it's going to get messy. Sometimes you'll get stepped on, and sometimes people will take you for a ride, and occasionally you may even get hurt. But it's worth it. C.S. Lewis says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung out and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure to keep your heart intact, don't give it to anyone, but that's not life. You know, there are people in your life that are waiting for you to reach out. They are going through some serious stuff. They may be in your home. They may be at work. They may be in your neighborhood. They might be on your team. But you've got to make a decision to take a risk, to, to be a listening ear, to, to maybe simply just have a prayer for them, with them. You know, consider doing an act of kindness, uh, uh, you know, some kind of kindness project in, in this world with, for someone that you know. And there's one more thing you've got to do. If you're going to amp it up, if you're going to amp it up, you've got to practice. You've got to practice. You know, in the story, Jesus, uh, this woman catches his attention. And he makes this decision to, to take a risk. And then he puts his love into practice. He does something. You know, you, you read the Gospels and 
throughout the New Testament, I am struck by the fact that Jesus is so incredibly kind and especially kind to people that are broken and hurting in, in his world. Colossians 3 says, God has chosen you. It's talking to Christians. If you're a Christian today, he's talking to you. You're holy and loved by him. Because of this, your new life should be full of loving pity. You should be kind to others and have no pride. Be gentle and willing to wait for others. Be patient with others. When people fail, don't let that deter you. Just hang in there with them. You know, the first way Jesus puts his love into practice is he speaks to the woman. You know, there, are, there is tremendous power in words. Proverbs tell us there, there is life and death in the tongue. In other words, the words that come out of your mouth, that roll off your tongue, they, they can either slice and dice, they can poison or destroy, or they can breathe life. They can give grace. They can give hope and, and strength. You know, the choice is yours. You have to make a decision. You know, Mother Teresa put it well. She said, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. If you read this whole story of this miracle of Jesus healing this woman, you find that Jesus is criticized for it and for healing on the Sabbath. And so as he's talking to his critics, he refers to the woman. He doesn't say the woman. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. Now, I want you to think about that. This is the most famous patriarch in all Judaism. And he calls her the daughter of Abraham. Highest point of position he could have given her. And, and I have this picture of this woman as she's walking home and standing up straight and looking people in the eye, maybe for the first time in, in 18 years, that she has seen things that she has not seen before. And I think the words of Jesus are ringing in her head, daughter of Abraham. Me. Poor, broken woman. Jesus, Jesus, put me here. We live in a world that will beat you up and put you down. And we have an unbelievable privilege. And we ought to loud and clear. You ought to turn the amps up. And say to people around you, you matter to God. God loves you. God is interested in what's happening in your world. The God that created this universe is interested in you. And we ought to say it with no shame and with a lot of power. The next thing Jesus does after he speaks to her is he touches her. I remember when I was in... Uh, grade school we had an outbreak of a, of a disease and um it was highly contagious and it spread like wildfire through the school i don't know how it was contact or contracted and, and how you got it but once you had it everybody avoided you big time at the school i attended boys thought the girls had it and girls thought the boys had it. Some of you had it. Cooties. 
I know, minds were racing. They're going, I remember disease. When, when did he grow up? Yeah. You remember that? You'd be on the playground, and if you had cooties, it was the terror of all terrors. Nobody wanted to touch you or be around you. I mean, the, what is a fictitious childhood, humorous kind of thing isn't funny as an adult. If you feel untouchable, unaccepted, like nobody wants you around. And I think it's been complicated by a couple uh, cultural factors. One is we, we live in a technological, uh, animated society, uh, and um, everything, I mean, it's possible to live and function in the world today without seeing people, without talking to people, without being touched by, by another person. I mean, it, it's just, it's possible. And I think the second thing is that you add to that kind of the fear of abuse, uh, mistreatment, inappropriate touching, and the result is we're even more withdrawn. I don't know if anybody caught CNN this week, but there's a, a middle school in uh, Vienna, Virginia, that has put a policy in place against physical touch in the school. And they mean no contact. Kids are not allowed to poke one another. I get that. But they're not allowed to shake hands. They're not allowed to high-five. If you high-five, you're going to get a detention. And I don't, I don't even know what to call that. I, I think it's like we've lost our common sense, but that's a whole nother message sometime. But what I want you to hear is we all need human contact, human touch. Jesus reaches out and he touches this woman. And it changed her life. And, and I wonder, I wonder who in your world needs love? You know, who is it in your world that's not easy to love? Because they probably need it more than anybody. I mean, just think for a minute. Let, let some names and faces come across. Can you imagine what would happen in your homes, in your office, in your neighborhoods, if you made the decision to start paying attention, you made a decision to take a risk and to put love into practice in your life, you know, to, to say loving things to people around you, to do loving acts spontaneously. I mean, Faith Fellowship has the ability to unleash an army on this community and make a difference in the world with, with loving deeds. You know, practice it sometime this week. Start. Get involved. You know, tell someone, I love you, that you haven't told that to. It's real easy. We're going to practice. Three words. I love you. Probably not in that tone, but... Let's try it. I love you.
maybe God's got a project for some of you. To dish out some hugs, some high fives, some handshakes, some encouragement, some acts of kindness. To help someone out, to brighten someone's day, to make a difference in their life. You know, Jesus, he never spoke at that synagogue again. They'd nail him to a cross a short time later. And it is likely, I assume, that Jesus never saw that woman again in this world. But Jesus seized that moment. One act of love changed her life forever. You know, John three eighteen. it says, My dear children, let not just, let's, let not just talk about love. Let's not just talk about love. We'll try that again. Let's practice real love. I challenge you to seize the moment. And let's be honest. The real world, the world that's out there, is not always grace-filled and love-filled. It's just not. Sometimes it's messed up. And then we basically live in a world that says you get what you pay for. No free lunch. No free ride. An eye for an eye. That, that's kind of the model today. And I like what the great philosopher, Norm from Cheers, says. The young ones are going, what? What show? I've never heard of it. But Norm, he always had great things to say. And he says, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and I'm wearing milk-bone underwear. It's not a friendly world. It's not a loving world. That's why we need to amp up love in this world. You ought to take a chance. Every opportunity you have and amp up love. We're doing our mission thing today. That's about us exponentially amping it up because we know that there are agencies local and all around the world that, that we support because it's about changing people's lives. It's about that one act of kindness that maybe we're not as good at, but there's people that are good at it. It uh, doesn't mean we shouldn't be out there. I, I hope that today you'll take an opportunity to stop by and check out the different ministries because, you know, sometimes they need, need physical hands to help with things. Um, and we ought to be involved that way to just make a difference in people's lives. You know, it's great we can affect one another, but we ought to be changing this area, this country, the world and we can do that we're doing that so i, I hope you'll you'll stop by uh, i know they've got some games and stuff for for the kids or the big adult kids or whatever and um hope you'll do that Let, let's stand for a word of prayer our holy god we praise you god i thank you i thank you for every single person here god i pray that you just make us uneasy. That we wouldn't be content just sitting in a chair, taking it all in. God, that you would spur us and push us.
to reach out, to take a risk. Yeah, sometimes it's going to get messy, but it's okay. I'd rather get in a mess and sit by and just watch someone fall. God, help us to be the people you created us to be and have called us to be. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.